0: Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine
1: grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient centered cancer care. Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast. I'm Jerome Madison, Vice President of Provider Relations for Trapello, and one of the hosts of the Precision Medicine Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Keith Stewart, the Carlson and Nelson Endowed Chair of the Mayo Clinic Center for Individualized Medicine. Dr. Stewart, thank you for taking time to be on the show.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me, Gerald. Pleased to be here.
1: Now, for those who can read your your dossier out there, you've done a lot of work in the area of precision medicine. And when you listen to the current conversation, there's many who feel that Today, you know, today is the beginning of the era of precision medicine, but you were doing research on gene sequences to find druggable targets in the 90s. So can you tell us what drew you to this work and kind of where we are today in the big picture of achieving precision medicine?
0: Well, my own experience started back in the 1990s when sequencing a single gene was a six-month-long endeavor and uh, a triumph to sequence one gene, and it really wasn't until the sequencing of the human genome in 2003 and the subsequent drop in pricing over the subsequent years that have made it possible to study the whole genome in real time and at reasonable cost. So we are still really in the earliest days of precision medicine as it will evolve over the next few decades. I like to tell people it's like being in a radiology department when chest x-rays were first discovered <laughs> uh, 100, 100 years ago, and we've got a long way to go. But So I would say that, yes, it's here in certain instances already, but it's certainly still in its infancy.
1: Yeah. You're, you are one of the researchers that I've heard recently on a panel that talked about prevention when using precision medicine tools, and you talked about the healthy genome. What does that mean, and, and how is that relevant toward what we do in everyday life?
0: Yes, I've, I've had people tell me there's no such thing as a healthy genome, unfortunately. But what we mean by that is um, the, the genome of people who are still healthy and haven't yet developed significant illness. And it has become a significant focus for us at Mayo Clinic uh, over the past few years as we move more from diagnosing and treating existing disease to trying to use genomics to prevent and predict, or to predict and prevent. You know, in some areas, cancer being the mother ship here, precision medicine has become part of our daily routine. And there are some malignancies, I point to lung cancer, for example, where treating a patient without genomic information would be almost unheard of today. Other diseases like acute leukemia and lymphomas uh, fall into the same category. We've also seen remarkable progress in diagnosing rare disease, a program we call our Diagnostic Odyssey Program. Uh, And in fact, uh, many many of the diseases we treat at Mayo Clinic are under the category of rare diseases and often have gone undiagnosed for decades. But the big opportunity, and I think the one that has got uh, us most excited, is the possibility, because of the declining costs and advancements in technology, that we can sequence the genome of people while they're still well and try and predict and intervene in a way that might reduce the burden of cancer, that might reduce the incidence of inherited disease, that might one day better define who's at risk for cardiac sudden death and other illnesses. So that's the, that's the power and the, and the uh, promise of sequencing healthy genomes. Mm-hmm.
1: If I'm not mistaken, you and I believe your, your team at the Mayo Clinic you guys are involved in the All of Us project that is sponsored by the National Institutes of Health. What's the kind of the goal of that program?
0: Well, this is an ambitious program that was um, I started during the Obama presidency, but it was a bipartisan supported initiative to sequence the, well, to at least study 1 million Americans. And part of that longitudinal study would be to do genomic sequencing for exactly the reasons we just discussed to see if we could figure out how to use the genome improving the health of the nation. Those 1 million people are now being enrolled. The Mayo Clinic's role is to store, to collect and store, uh, retrieve and dispense the biospecimens from those 1 million individuals. So we will be collecting, we are, and will be collecting 35 million samples a split between our Rochester and our Florida campuses uh, for the use of researchers over time to better understand the power of the genome in human health. So that's our role. It's a very ambitious plan. It follows uh, similar initiatives in other countries. So for example, uh, in England, uh, the company Genomics England, on which I, I actually sit on their board, uh, has just announced the completion or about to announce the completion of uh, sequencing 100,000 whole genomes for patients being treated in the national health system, there. So there are similar initiatives are underway worldwide, but obviously the U.S. effort and one million people will be a very important uh, landmark and important resource for researchers to use for decades to come.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's quite a bit. So what do we do with all this this data? How do we make it interconnected?
0: Well, I think that the the organizers of of this uh, All of Us project have a number of goals. One. They want to make sure it's truly representative of the population of the United States, that minorities are represented in equal proportion to their presence in the country, that it covers the spectrum of age and other diversity issues. They will also, I think, tell you that it's not just about genomics in this case. It's about other biomarkers. It's about mobile monitoring, wearable devices, and not just genomics, so it's a broader effort than just purely looking at the uh, role of the genome, but other omics, other biomarkers, other uh, environmental influences on, on outcomes. But it, I think it—you it, know—some of you will have heard of the Framingham Project, which started in, I think, in the 1970s. It, it's just been a goldmine for researchers for the last uh, 40 or 50 years. This will build on projects like that uh, in a very extensive way, and, and I think will be the gift that keeps on giving to medical research in the United States and worldwide.
1: Sure. Your your program at the Mayo Clinic has a branded gene guide. What are conditions that are currently contained in the Mayo Clinic gene guide and how do you how do patients leverage that information?
0: Well, one thing we saw although we've we've already explored and talked about on this podcast our efforts in cancer, rare disease and healthy genomics. Those are all services that we offer to patients who are actually able to come to Mayo Clinic for care. And we realized that there was perhaps a gap in the direct-to-consumer, or at least consumer-initiated testing market for a more serious health-related product that introduced people to their genome, that educated them on what it could and could not tell them about their health. And so we developed this, um, it's a physician-ordered, but initiated by consumers application that runs on a website through the company Helix, a bit like your iPhone where you get your genome sequenced at Helix and then you can purchase apps over time, Mayo Clinic Gene Guide being one of those. And what we're trying to do there is to introduce to those people who have not yet been exposed to their genome uh, some of the, the, the health knowledge that you can derive from that product. So it includes four different categories of testing which encompass Uh, about 20 genetic tests. It tests for four carrier inherited conditions, so conditions you would inherit from your family. Uh, Those include things like cystic fibrosis, uh, hearing loss. It also includes in the app what we would call more environmentally sensitive uh, predispositions, things like cardiac disease, atrial fibrillation, macular degeneration, It includes some pharmacogenomics, so your ability to metabolize drugs such as over-the-counter medications, omeprazole for peptic ulcer disease or heartburn, and ibuprofen for uh, musculoskeletal pain, as well as your risk of anesthesia with some specific inherited conditions. And finally, we look at some medically relevant traits such as lactose intolerance and alcohol flush. We've also built into the app the ability to document your family history and pedigree, to do a breast cancer risk assessment, and to get some of your medical ancestry, at least on the continental level. So it it contains a lot of information. It's uh, heavy in educational tools, and we hope it's something that people will use to both educate themselves and perhaps
1: others. The the Mayo Clinic Center for Individualized Medicine, after hearing you speak on on various panels, and of course the the information you're giving here, you guys seem to have a very broad vision of how precision medicine can benefit all patients, both healthy and sick. But how do we get the healthy patients to care more about genetic testing?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. That's one of the reasons we built the app, is we feel there is a, a, an education gap, and it's not just in patients; it's also in healthcare providers. In the payers. There's a broad deficit because genomics is relatively new and most of us, including myself, uh, had no education in genomics when we went to medical school or trained as a nurse or an x-ray technician. So there is a deep need for education across a wide spectrum of the public and the healthcare community. I think people have paid attention to genomics. They've read about it in the media. They're aware of it. They've seen other companies uh, with healthcare products uh, in, in the marketplace. I think there is an awareness, but still, still a large gap in translating that awareness into utilization. So that's what things like the All of Us program, our Mayo Clinic consumer app, or some of our efforts in offering this to healthy patients who come to Mayo Clinic, that's, a lot of those efforts are aimed yeah. at that. We do, have, we do have plans, for example, Jerome, to expand our efforts substantially in terms of the volume of patients we're testing. We would hope over the next couple of years to move from hundreds or even thousands of patients to hundreds of thousands of patients getting genomic sequencing that come to our clinic and, and other institutions around the country. Others have done this, of course, like Geisinger Healthcare System, very successfully has, has sequenced hundreds of thousands of people, and that's uh, something that we feel is mm-hmm. uh, worthy of
1: emulating. Dr. Stewart, for those who who will Google you in particular they come across the groundbreaking research that you and your team did on an older drug, thalidomide, which was used to treat insomnia for pregnant women back in the 50s and 60s. But uh, unfortunately, it resulted then in thousands of birth defects and ultimately pulled from the market. However, your team discovered that this drug was particularly effective in treating multiple myeloma, which is fascinating in itself. But what did you learn from that research that we can apply today in finding new uses for existing or even older drugs and kind of what led you to even examining that drug for for better uses?
0: Well, this is a fascinating story and it is really a, a testament to the power of genomics and precision medicine. The story as you just illustrated is that thalidomide was marketed initially for morning sickness as a very safe drug because it testing in animals, particularly in mice, had shown no side effects, including in pregnant mice. It turned out to be profoundly noxious in humans uh, with significant birth defects, and it eventually almost disappeared from the market, but it lingered around to treat this very small population of patients with leprosy. It was discovered accidentally to be effective in the cancer I treat as a physician, which is called multiple myeloma. But we never really understood how it worked, Uh, and I was uh, engaged along with many other people in trying to understand how this morning sickness pill could possibly treat the cancer. And then we had a breakthrough when a group in Japan did studies on the genetics of this drug in its ability to cause birth defects, and they found that it actually bounds very specifically to a single gene, uh, a single protein, which is made by a single gene, and When we saw that, we immediately went to work to determine if this was the same target that was important in multiple myeloma treatment, and it turned out it was. And So now we have a very precise understanding of how this old, old drug binds to a specific genetic target, uh, turns on a genetic machinery within the cell that results in the destruction of this particular cancer. These drugs are widely used now in this cancer and other cancers. There are ways you can test ahead of time to see if the drug is that the gene is functional. If it's mutated, then the drug won't work. And it's actually led to a whole new field in drug discovery where you can take half of the molecule and modify it to degrade uh, multiple proteins. So diseases like Parkinson's and breast cancers and other targets uh, have become much more amenable to treatment as a result of this discovery. Originally in Japan, and then work that we we engaged in ourselves. So it's really a, a beautiful example of how genomics and precision medicine can come together to explain old mysteries, but also to lead to new therapies moving forward.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. Fascinating work. You know, when we look at area in which you guys, I mean, very broad application of precision medicine tools, when we talk about specifically disease prevention, what data is needed before we can really routinely use genetic testing for disease prevention?
0: Yeah, so, so with respect to the pay, payment for genetic testing, in cancer it's now fairly routine to get paid at least for some basic genetic testing in newly diagnosed patients. It's becoming increasingly common that one will get paid for doing a workup of a rare disease patient, particularly if they're younger in the neonatal intensive care unit. But, but the area where we're not really seeing a lot of payment yet is in this healthy individual sector. And it's not just sequencing the genome. It's also something we call pharmacogenomics, which is the um, ability to look at the genes that metabolize drugs and try and predict adverse events or side effects or, or good tolerance of specific prescription medications. The problem there is that the promise of the testing takes many years or even decades perhaps to to come to fruition. And so I think probably correctly, insurance companies and other payers have held off on reimbursing these tests until they have better evidence that by doing such testing, you're not just adding to healthcare expenses, but you are showing enough benefit that it is worth paying for, even if the benefit is deferred it's going to take some time to accumulate that evidence. The All of Us program we talked about will be one of those ways in which that's done. We have conducted pharmacogenomic testing over 10,000 patients, and we've run the world's biggest randomized phase three trial of the drug Plavix and its pharmacogenome in over 5,000 patients. When all these bits of evidence start to fall in place, we do suspect that this will become, over time, reimbursable through other means. Right now, for most individuals, it's an out-of-pocket expense, although some of the more farsighted large employers are beginning to adopt this as a benefit for their their, um, employees. So one of the reasons I think it will become reimbursable is that the cost is now pretty low. We can certainly do pharmacogenomic testing for just a few hundred dollars. Uh, We can do whole genome testing for around $1,000 or, or just slightly over that for, for healthy individuals. And I think for for a test that you're born with and never changes in the 95 years you're alive, I think this is going to turn out to be a real bargain. But we do need to accumulate the evidence in support of that. I think, as you know, there are some screening tests. I'll give you you know, prostate-specific antigen to detect prostate cancer. It's a very sensitive test, but it turns out perhaps that... Um, it's become controversial in that you know, you find a lot of cancers perhaps you end up doing surgery and procedures on that may not be necessary so i think there's going to be quite a long time until we have enough evidence to see this routinely applied
1: you know our goal here at Trapello is to lead the conversation with payers providers and of course genomic testing companies to bring them together on this conversation Of access and scale of precision medicine, and you've just been talking about it because where the rubber meets the road is reimbursement. But what are your ideas of how and why insurance companies should pay for precision medicine tools?
0: Well, again, if we, you know, for cancer and rare disease, I think the benefits are much more immediately obvious. And cancer, getting the right drug to the patient at the right time is going to actually save money and produce better outcomes. I believe, and, and again, I think some would argue that the proof of that still also needs to be firmed up. Rare disease, I think, for particularly for children who may have lifelong disabilities, finding the right diagnosis and preventing future unnecessary testing, perhaps leading to specific therapies, also, I think, uh, eminently reimbursable in the short term, near term. Again, when we come to healthy genomes, my own belief is that we will first see advantage in pharmacogenomics. I had my own pharmacogenome done Jerome. I I recommend it for everybody. And and the test I had done, which only cost a few hundred dollars, looked at 450 prescription medications. And I often tell people that I don't think I'll ever take a new medication without consulting that list to make sure that it's on the safe-to-take list before I I actually swallow a pill. And we hope that that will demonstrate itself as a reduction in the millions of drug side effects that are experienced every year in the United States, it's estimated over 100,000 deaths due to drug adverse events. And I think we can really impact that. So I do think that given the cost, relatively inexpensive test, and given the potential benefits, that this is likely to be something that people will be paying for soon. As, as I've already stated, I think the you know sequencing everybody's genome, which is ultimately our goal, and I should have said this earlier, I, at Mayo Clinic, we have a vision that anybody who comes to our institution in the not too distant future will be able to avail themselves of whole genome sequencing as part of their health care. But I think that vision is, is still some way, a little ways off, and, and we need to build a base of solid evidence to support that, I think, before it will be routinely reimbursed.
1: For those out there who do want to find more about what you guys are doing at the Mayo Clinic Center for Individualized Medicine... What's your website? Where can they link up with you via social media? Where should we send them?
0: Well, if you just Google Mayo Clinic Center for Individualized Medicine, it will take us to your website. We also have a Facebook page. We have a presence on Twitter. And uh, like you, we do do a regular blog that people can avail themselves of, all of which should be fairly easy to find through one of those outlets. Absolutely. And of course, if you're a a patient and you want to um, come and see us or or visit with us on a specific genetic issue, then please feel free to call Mayo Clinic and we can help you out.
1: Outstanding. Well, we want to thank Dr. Keith Stewart, the chair of the Mayo Clinic Center for Individualized Medicine, and of course, all of our listeners for joining us today. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode of the Precision Medicine Podcast. And don't forget... You can download full transcripts of today's episode at PrecisionMedicinePodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, you probably know someone else who would too, so please tell them. They'll thank you, and so will we.